On this episode of the Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie Podcast, the guys give their marquee picks for their favorite murder weapons in film and TV history. Then they discuss Jordan Peele's thriller, Us, and they end the show with a little game of Wheel of Fortune. So, let's go! One movie podcast. This is the always buzz, the always exciting, the always enumerated movie review show. I am Matthew Scott. And I'm always joined by Mr. Rod Budman, Mr. Joseph Fine, and Mr. Preston Barnes. Tonight we are reviewing the Jordan Peele movie Us. But before we get into the review, as always, we want to thank everyone that's reviewed our show on iTunes that's left us a five-star review and left us a glowing, glowing written review. We appreciate, appreciate you so much. And before we get into the movie review, we always like to do our top three picks. So tonight we're doing our marquee picks, our top three murder weapons, because in us, all the characters are murdering each other with elaborate pieces of like scissors or something, whatever. So we're going to do our murder weapons. 
Uh, this is a Preston pick, so Preston's going to kick us off with the murder rep weapons. Top three murder weapons, Preston. Your number three murder weapon in film and television history. Go for it. Uh, starting with number three, uh, had a little difficulty choosing this one, but because there's a lot of different options from this particular evil person. But I'm going with <laughs> Doctor Doctor Evil's Fembots for number three. Oh man, the Fembots. Okay. Uh, number two. Uh, a little bit darker, also a crazy character, but I'm going with Heath Ledger's The Joker using the pencil. Yes. That was crazy in, in uh, The Dark Knight. And number one, this one holds a special spot in my childhood heart, but I'm going with the Proton Pack from Ghostbusters. That's awesome. Um, and, I th- you know, basically, if anybody who's seen it, fun Ghostbusters sci-fi film. Um, it's basically the, just like wild laser beams shooting out of uh, their little, like, <laughs> little, little uh, created gun that captured ghosts, but it's so much fun. Uh, I remember when I was little, I wanted, I wanted one, maybe to catch a ghost or two, but also just for like a Halloween costume. Are you and, a Dan Ackwood uh, or a Bill Murray fan? Pick one. In terms of your I'm favorite. a Bill Murray fan. Bill Murray fan. I think everyone, I think, I feel like everyone should be, but Rod, are you a Bill Murray fan or are you a Dan Aykroyd fan? I'm a Bill Murray fan as well. And I also, actually, I, I love Preston's dream, uh, <laughs> being a Ghostbuster. And I think I was a Ghostbuster for Halloween for like six years straight. <laughs> yeah. What about, I mean, it what was, about you, Joe? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Let's, let's let Joe chime in on the uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd or Ghostbusters debate. Go for it, Joe. I feel like if you're from the South and you're an American, you're going to go with Bill Murray. I mean, he's always around Charleston. Um, <laughs> but um, an Dan Aykroyd is one of the best Canadians to come, out of it, to come out of our friends from the North. So, you know, we love Aykroyd's him. great. Aykroyd's a legend. But I don't, so were you I mean, saying you're an about- Aykroyd fan, but you're scared to, like, be pressured into being a Bill Murray fan? Is that what you're saying, Joe? <laughs> No, I can't, I'm just saying uh, you, where where we are all from, it probably lean, we lean into Bill Murray as he's kind of okay. like a little bit of a regional legend around these parts. Uh, yeah. But Dan Aykroyd's a, a legend in the, the the snows up north. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're just talking the the film, I feel most people do remember like Bill Murray's character Bankman. But I mean, they're all awesome, and uh, I know we had talked about it a few pods ago, but that was. Um, was Harold Ramis. Matthew, remember discussing this one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he he also starred in it. Um, obviously, so, a, a great screenwriter for a long so time. So we're not going to get too off track here, and we're going to get back to the picks or whatever. So, but I think most listeners, avid listeners, know that me, Preston, and Rod all went to school in Charleston where Bill Murray lives when he's not filming stuff. Preston, did you ever see Bill Murray like out and about? I saw him once. Did you ever yeah. see I saw him uh, twice, once uh, from a distance at, at the uh, River Dogs game. And then one time I actually spoke to him. Uh, he was leaving Taco Boy. And I, <laughs> I was walk, I was just walking up and I was like, oh, hey, Bill. And he was like, hey. And when I discussed, <laughs> like, it's like, I think we discussed the specials for the night. Honestly. <laughs> Rod, he's, were just, you a- he's so, so chill. Rod, did you ever talk to him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You you guys probably had like some uh, sweet business plans to go over. You probably were, you know, managing his money and stuff like that. Probably would have gotten really, really concise. What? No? Crickets <laughs> right, from Budman. We'll edit that out. <laughs> I was just trying to make you sound like you were managing. His- All right. Sorry, Rod. <laughs> okay. All right, so Rod's definitely seen him. I saw him one time in the back alley when I was taking out the trash with Jimmy Johnson, whatever, and he was more than funny and very, very nice or whatever. I can't remember the exact conversation we had, but we did talk for a little bit. But he's a super nice guy. Like, he was obviously nice enough to talk to someone who was handling tons and tons of, of refuse at a, fa- uh, uh, you know, whatever, a uh, shitty fast food restaurant. But so we'll go to this. My so we're gonna move on from Preston's picks. We'll go on to my picks. Uh, my top three murder weapons were I chose the ice pick from Basic Instinct. 
I too chose the pencil from the Joker and the Dark Knight. And then wow. I also chose the melt stick from the Grandmaster and Thor Ragnarok, which was Jeff Goldblum's <laughs> when he like sticks the melt stick on that one person and he has that sort of like yeah. weird, weird little monologue with like total Jeff Goldblum sort of thing where he goes, oh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, like he like has like, it like creates this massive goo on the floor and Jeff Goldblum yeah. kind of like has that sort of weird attitude about it where he, he steps out of it and it gets on his shirt or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I chose to do that and it's fine, but ugh, it gets so dirty. Yeah, he immediately regrets it, but he also likes murdering someone at the same time. <laughs> so that's your number one is the Jeff Goldblum one, right? Yeah, it's my number one. But like, I mean, okay, you okay. know. Whatever. It's... You, didn't, you didn't number it. I got confused. You no, I did it. number. I said three was the ice pick, two was the pencil, one was the okay. melt stick. So it all kind of sounded like a fish song in the chorus or whatever. Ice pick, <laughs> melt stick, whatever. Uh... <laughs> Meat stick. Meat stick. Yeah. Meat stick. It's ice. <laughs> Slap dick. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a recent movie. I, I don't feel like, uh... Joe, have you seen Thor Ragnarok? You know what I'm talking about? I have not. I used okay. to play the game Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not old and British enough, and it's not black and white for you to see. It. Rod, have you seen it's, it? If I'd known Jeff Goldblum was in the cast, <laughs> I would have seen that years ago, months ago, whenever it was released. I he sort know. of steals his show. He does the total Jeff yeah, Goldblum yeah. thing, where he like he just sort of acts in this sort of aloof manner and whatever. But um, no, it's so it's, it's, it's a it's a great movie. It's like it's funny. It's, it's entertaining. <sighs> No, it's definitely one of the best Marvel movies out there. Yeah. Um, he is not Thor, correct? No. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as Thor would actually be in a, uh, you know, a fantastic movie. <laughs> All right. Joe, we're going to move on to you. Your top three murder weapons. Go for it. Gentlemen, it's great to be back. <laughs> number, <laughs> number three, we're going to go with the Moonraker Laser. Ooh. From the movie Moonraker, James Bond classic from the late seventies, mm -hmm. Roger Moore. Yeah, it's, uh, often an overlooked one, and the uh, it was an uh, the best weapon on 007 Goldeneye in '64. They also have like elevated. Awesome. They also have like zero gravity sex at the end of the movie. Is that am, am I oh. mistaken? That is that is that right? Are you uh, speaking yeah, exactly. of the lasers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the lasers, dude. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Number two is going to be uh, the Smith & Wesson Model 36. It's a snub nose 38 from The Godfather. When he goes into the bathroom and up underneath the old-fashioned toilet, you know, the yeah, raised yeah. tank, he's fiddling around, comes out, shoots McCluskey and Salazzo in the face. That's a classic murder weapon. Yeah. Um, and it was a close tie. I mean, it was, it was you know neck and neck with this next one, but I had for number one, I'm going to pick Butch's katana sword in Pulp Fiction. Oh when my he, God. He's in the basement with, you know, Zed, a couple flies got in our web. Uh, and he, he he's down there uh, God, what, what, with uh, Marcellus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Gap. <laughs> yep. Man, it's, it, that's one of the best scenes of all time. And first thing that when murder weapons came up as the categories that popped into my mind instantly as you know when bruce willis turns around and he sees that that God. thing pulls it off the wall it's fucking classic yeah that is an epic scene it's just uh like just the, he's choosing the revenge no, yeah yeah great pick love it that's the best pick so far Wait, so is everyone just a huge Pulp Fiction fan? Is that everyone's favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, or is that how how's this going? Just just to get it a is brief... for me for sure. Rod, is it your favorite? That was my favorite Tarantino as well. Crescent. I mean, it's it's certainly up there. I, I don't know. I, I I need a little bit more preparation for that. I would say it's definitely my top two. So it's like either that or uh, I mean, Reservoir Dogs is so good. Um, yeah, man, I, I can't make a decision on that right now. No, I'm feeling I know like I'm such I know an it's outlier, not the hateful eight. I feel like I'm, yeah, oh, I hate the hateful eight. I feel like I'm such an outlier, though. I mean, like, I like Pulp Fiction, but I feel like it's everyone's favorite. But I feel like I just missed it so much. But no, I mean, like, it, it's a great pick. But like, I, I yeah. feel like I do, for whatever reason, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just not the biggest Pulp Fiction fan. Um, all right, Rod, oh. we're going to we're gonna move on to you. 
We're going to move on to your top three murder weapons, and we'll move on talking about Jordan Peele's Us. But, Rod, close us out. Top three murder weapons, film and television, for you. Go for it. Okay. My um, number three pick is going to be the Hattori Hanzo sword from Kill Bill. Great pick. (laughs) Great pick. My number two is also going to be from Kill Bill, and it's going to be the five-finger death punch. Love it. So somebody's hand? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) I believe that's also also a a band. Yeah, (laughs) good for it, I would like to believe that the movie came out first. Um, I I think so, I think. (laughs) <laughs> that's how she kills bills kind of cool to me um my number one pick is going to be my little friend from scarface which is oh yeah pretty intense scene yeah it's awesome but, uh, um I, I really like everyone's picks here that was an ak-47 wasn't it uh, i think it was an m16 are you sure about that did you do the research run yeah, I literally just looked it up on fire. <laughs> 13 so it's not an I think. It's, a, an, it's an I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I just had to look it up. But uh, uh, real number one is the cattle gun from No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Oh. I definitely, I thought about that one. Uh, I, <laughs> when you, we thought of the first, or Joe, you were mentioning like the first thing that came to your mind. I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my mind was the scene in Anchorman with, uh, there's a about Brick Tamblin killed a guy with a trident. So I just immediately thought about a, a trident. Wait, so Rod, let's get back to That's the uh, cattle gun and No Country for Old Men. Is that really your favorite? What, what uh, I mean, are, are you in love with that movie? Do you just think that it's like a crazy weapon or what, what, what appeals to you about that? I mean, it's different than a gun yeah. or a knife or a sword. I mean, I guess a hand was a little different choice it also leaves like no evidence right because it just pushes something in and ah. coils back so it almost leaves zero yeah. anything it, so yeah you're not you know leaving slugs around the murder scene so you got a bunch of yeah. ideas from that movie if you ever had to defend yourself <laughs> that's uh if i was on a farm that <laughs> probably what i'd reach for otherwise the five finger bud punch <laughs> you're getting i'd go for the cattle gun if i was getting chased well cattle gun's only good in close proximity you couldn't use it like from out like you've got to be really really close to the person be able to stick it right yeah. the forehead up against so i think like if you were able to like you had linguistic skills to manipulate somebody to get close to you like hey what's this cool whatever and then you just kind of stick it up to them but that's the only way you could really really use it Right, it's like a uh, it's like a nail gun or something. Yeah. What's the actor's name? Uh, Javier Bardem. Yeah, Javier Bardem. That guy, his name. Um, yeah. J A. Awesome. I think that's the initials. I don't know how to pronounce the name. He. Uh, I mean, I feel like he would would not have very much trouble like putting you in a corner. Just, he kind of had like a very big presence. Maybe it's the way they filmed it. But he looks like he was probably seven feet. Are you saying you'd be susceptible to his presence to get murdered by him? Is that what you're saying, or is it? Well, no. I mean, Budman's like Budman's tall himself. Yeah, I mean, Budman's got the but if I was know, in, intellectual acuity to know when he's being like, manipulated, right? Okay, yeah, you know, I may be a little bit worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Budman knows when he's being manipulated. He's got the intellectual acuity to know when that's going on, whatever. But everyone else out there, watch out for that. What is it? Air cow gun or whatever? Um, all right. So, cattle frog gun. <laughs> cattle frog gun. All right. So, so we're going to wrap up our, uh, you know, top whatever, murder weapons and film and TV. That was actually a good one to end on because that's a fantastic movie. Um, so we're going to move on to our discussion of Jordan Peele's Us. Um, so we'll just do a little brief recap of what the movie's about or what it is. And so it's Jordan Peele. He wrote and directed it. Basically, the movie starts off in the 80s at uh, the Santa Cruz Boardwalk park and a little girl wanders off into a house of mirrors that's called the vision quest or whatever and it's and she's confronted with a reflection of herself that winds up like being sort of cognizant on her own 
And then we flash forward to present day and the girl's all grown up and on vacation with her own family. And uh, they're attacked by a family that is identical to themselves. So, um, Preston, this is your movie. You want to kick it off with like something you absolutely want to talk about or what, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, I, I'm very curious to hear what y'all thought. Uh, I think I made no secret. I, I love this, this movie, but, uh, I, I know one thing, I think I briefly mentioned it to you, Matthew, was I, I knew there was a lot of like symbolism, but I didn't know to like the extent that, uh, Jordan Peele went to make, I mean, there were just so many little parts of the movie that, yeah, like had some kind of symbolism or had to do with this whole theme of duality and and it's just it, it's almost like overwhelming I, I guess I didn't realize like from scene to scene there was always kind of a little something there um, all right well, well let's just do this so should we talk about the end first because I think the end almost allows us to talk about the whole movie before sure. like right so it gives us That's context to be able to talk to it so um in the end, did you find it surprising? Did it make sense? What questions do you have about it? So we we see the clone dragging the like. Uh, actually, let's just do that. So before we actually get into specific questions, what do you think about the end? Did you find it surprising? What what do you think? Go for it. This is what's been burning at me for days. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's hear it. Okay. Let's do this. So. Uh, uh, Hopefully, everyone, all of our listeners have heard this, but my main question is, is the woman, so the little girl gets swapped out, right? Correct. Yes. So, I mean, so what, yeah, then that 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 makes this movie make no sense to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I literally, I don't know if I can go on. No, on. no, no. You, no, you're right, though. That's a very valid question. But like, she's uh, not like, really the good girl. She's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I think, and it, but I then, think you're right, but we, we can then, answer that question then, and like yeah. as we talk about it. Go for it, Preston. Well, I, I know I know what you're feeling and like what you're thinking, because I, I, I was talking about this the other night and you know, this is my second time seeing it and I already knew what was going to happen, but it was just more of like, I don't know how to make impact this time. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it is first off, I, I'm not really exactly <laughs> sure how old the little girl is when when the swap occurs. I, I mean, I think, what are y'all, like seven? Six or seven, Maybe. Yeah. yeah, six or seven. Yeah, so young enough to where you would think like her going, like the swap occurring, I don't know, like that maybe, maybe, maybe that's why like they weren't able to, or like to figure it out or to understand what was happening to them. Um, of course, the ending does kind of point out a few things, but uh, I, I, it, it is odd because you've got her growing up as you know, this little girl, it's about six years old, and she gets swapped, and then you have the other one who apparently, you know, can't really talk, can't, doesn't have any communicative skills. And then we're supposed to believe, I guess, the other one basically goes back to the girl before, and she likes, she can't talk. She lives down there for years and decades. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's generally the gist of it, but I, I can see how it could be like a little, would you say frustrating, Budman? I mean, it's 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 almost as if she was the evil one who won in the end, because uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I think what uh, Preston's getting at is this: in terms of the logical question, is that if there's a switch, if like a a, a girl that is from sort of the you want to say the real world versus the tunnel world. If we want to, if we want to establish that sort of whatever, um, that girl should know how to actually communicate and talk, whatever. She was old enough to do that. And then she got switched right. to the bottom. Right. And then the girl that didn't really actually know how to communicate and talk, it's very plausible that she would have learned how to do it. But when the girl that was originally from the earth I, I, I'm sorry for lack of better words or whatever. The surface. The surface. When she gets back and she is in terms of like that girl that is red or whatever, she should have been able to talk normally. That's that right. Like she, unless you under, think that 20 years, whatever Didn't in the anything. tunnel would have made you 
talk in that sort of weird alien ghostly term that <laughs> like well like, i think i think that's it it's like so i don't think anyone else really could talk so that's that's kind of the secret to why she can talk but while she's down there for years so like she had six seven years where she learned how to talk and speak english and then all of a sudden she's down here while she's down there no one else really talks to communicate so she kind of loses her voice over yeah the years. yes yes so and then I it mean, becomes it becomes strained to where like it sounds the way it sounds in the movie. I mean, yeah, it makes it makes I a think little that's sense. Kind of the point. I, I think it's stretched a little bit, but I, I do understand. Sure. Like, I can understand the point. Rob, what were you going to talk about? I was going to say that I do think the whole idea of her ending up being like the uh, protagonist is very very stretched, and I don't even know if I'd call her a protagonist anymore. But as far as the speaking part goes, I think you're exactly right, Preston. Like, uh, I think it's a, she would have been the only one that could talk right. down there, but no one else could. So then it's probably implied that all she did down there was like scream in agony and frustration. And since no one else knew how to talk, they probably didn't know how to scream. I think that's a great point because one of the things she brings up to uh, Adelaide is, you know, like we've been on the other side, you know, like of, of what you've been feeling, we've been feeling pain. You know, like we, yeah, like they definitely are vote like they make noises down there, as we can see in some of those later scenes. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, with her being able to speak to some degree, that's why she's the leader. That's why she has these like commands over her family and uh, and and clearly still has like <laughs> clearly has a long memory about her situation. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see how it's, it's a stretch. It'd be nice to see some things like maybe from age seven to age 20 something, you know, but no, no it's, an interesting, but I mean, like, it, it's, 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 it's just so different. It's such a different idea. And it's like, it's just kind of crazy to like get your head around it. No, it's definitely an interesting point. Like you'd have to ask yourself if you were trapped down in a cave or something without talking to anybody, without really being able to communicate, would you speak the same way if you were trapped in a cave for 25 years or something like that could right. you actually still articulate in the same way i don't know i think this sort of he, they try to answer that question and saying no you wouldn't i kind of think maybe you would be able to still talk i really don't know joe what, what do you think it's, it, i feel like you got something to say yeah i mean it seems like they were down there for generations and it could be yeah hundreds of years so you would definitely mess your your speech your eyesight everything up man you <clears throat> you become a a monster. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So we've at least established the ending in terms of what like the clones or whatever are going through. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about when they arrive in the real world, whatever, and they sort of almost have these sort of like superhuman abilities. Um, like the, uh, the, the girl can run faster. The little boy can like almost climb up trees and sort of like, like walk like a spider or whatever. The guy almost seems to have like super, not superhuman strength, but is more like stronger than the 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 guy he's like a clone of. Um, okay. What did you guys think of that in terms of? Did you think it resolved itself? Did you think that, that like it actually made sense, or did you think that was just almost to like be like a, a movie prop? Are you saying what? Just like their abilities? Yeah. Did you think that was almost like an ability? Like they almost accentuate their abilities to make the movie scarier rather than actual like to, to stay within sort of the suspension of disbelief is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I would say that and the voice that um, Red uses, I think are both kind of, I, I just think that's more of a stylistic thing. Jordan Peele was like, we, you know, like I, I like these kind of things, you know, they resonate with me in scary movies. So like you should have a scary <laughs> voice, you know? See, well, like, they, well, I, think, I think it's more of a solid and then and like of course they would be stronger because we're also supposed to be or at least learn later is that like they've been down there training and and like kind of waiting and planning for this moment so you know while there is a bit of suspension of belief with like the little kid yeah running around and up trees and stuff but <laughs> but i mean like i think i do think uh, yeah i mean like that's that's kind of i think that's what they're going for what do you think joe go for it no, man, I was just terrified the entire time. I'm <laughs> enjoying hearing Preston talk about it, so I want to hear him explain it to me. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I don't know about the tra- about them training, so to speak. I did. I feel like it, it's. I don't think they were training to walk like spiders or walk like dogs or whatever. That's the one thing I really wanted to ask you guys about. Like, how? What do you think about that in terms of? Did you think that they there was some sort of I don't know government thing that was like almost they were all clones whatsoever. So maybe there was some type of like government experimentation to make them walk a certain way. Like, I, I'm just curious. It seems like a weird thing to add, like to make them do that. But like, it's something that they did with multiple people. So it's, it definitely was intentional. Preston, I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know about like the government <laughs> thing. I think like, uh, again, I, I just, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if that's really what what Jordan Peele is going for. I, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, there, there's about this film, like every there's there are a lot of questions you can ask and like curiosities well, yeah. as about well, then, as like how these people got this way, how long have they been there? I mean, you know, it, in a way, it keep, keeps it kind of ambiguous. I mean, like at the beginning, it just tells us like for centuries, for year, like years, like under America, there are hidden tunnels and old subways, <laughs> and like. You know, it's just, it's, it's a fantasy in a way. And I think it's, I, I mean, I, I would almost be like pissed if they're like, well, this has been a government conspiracy the whole time. <laughs> oh, God, I just like to think that these people were like separated and, or, or like, like we have these doppelgangers we don't know about, like they very well could be below us, but no clue, you know? <laughs> well, and, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just, just fun I'm just more asking a general question in terms of do you think there was directorial intent or do you think in terms of like what they were doing like they had an actual purpose or a plan in terms of why they were walking that way or do you think the directorial directorial intent was oh it's just scarier and let's do that yeah like, again so- yeah i think it's a stylistic thing I, I don't i mean you could also maybe like with the voice or something like they just ha- they've been down there they don't really have any way to like move beyond their space or something and so this is how they walk i, I don't know yeah. joe what do you think do you have something to say i feel like you were you know maybe maybe um all the the tethered you know for all <laughs> of their suffering you know we get to live good lives up here so our do- doppelgangers are suffering down there so they're fucking pissed yeah so yeah they're dumb they're dumb they, they can't walk right they can't really speak they experience pretty much only pain you know it's, yeah Ron, I know we talked a little about this. You, you said they walk like dogs and cats. What were you thinking? Uh, I, I think the walking part was spot on to what the um, parameters are of what they're supposed to have been experiencing and enduring. Like, uh, you're familiar yeah. with uh, Jeannie, the feral child. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not funny. Um, she walked like, it's called like the rabbit walk. Yeah, maybe I should have that, <laughs> that was a real person, right? Yeah, I probably shouldn't have brought it up. It's really story, <laughs> but she couldn't walk. It's, it's funny. It's <laughs> funny that you like brought something so serious. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm just Matthew. Trying, Matthew yeah. hates feral children. <laughs> I do. I do. I have a very, very prejudice against feral children. We were just yeah. laughing. Experience with them in the past. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think I think what he's saying is is essentially correct. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea we're supposed to have is that they are like I, I assume this girl Jeannie was not really exposed and was was socially isolated and probably experienced like a lot of neglect, and that's kind of the idea with the with the tethered. Right. So here's my big thing. Now that we've discussed this and I've found out is is her family that is. In other words, she sacrificed her um, her tethered family because she killed them. And the untethered family is still alive. Are you but, talking about at the end, like when you say... I'm saying... Uh, when, you, when you're talking about she, you're talking about Adelaide, right? I'm talking about Adelaide, who is really yeah, okay. So wait, Adelaide is really a tethered, right? She was born or was a tethered, then was uh, swapped with so the person who became red. Or or Adelaide, yeah, I think the name part's a little confusing, but okay, Adelaide yeah. is 
what was tethered. So her people are the tethered. Uh, in a way, but then she grows up in, in this life and she becomes uh, you know, like a person above the surface. So I, No, no, no. I, I think Rod's is touching on a point that I actually had, I, I was actually going to ask about later or whatever, in, in terms of does, like when you separate yourself from the underground to the surface or whatever, does the whatever, the soul tetheredness change? I think that's what you're getting at, right? Yes, and now well, I think I, I, no, it's 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 definitely a plot point and a plot hole that I think you're actually smart to understand and realize. I really don't know. I think it's something that is is something that when you watch the movie you don't think about, but when you think about it later on, you go, "Oh, that actually doesn't make sense." So I so, I, I think I think you're smart to realize that. But go ahead, Preston. So here here's the thing is that and and they, I do agree. Like maybe. If it was a longer movie, he could have gone into it a little bit more. But when the swap does occur, remember, there's that scene where uh, now we have the girl who is below is now up on the surface. And she's in like what looks like a child psychiatrist area or something, you know, somewhere where they're trying to yeah. do therapy and figure out what's going on because she still is uh, experiencing or is, is basically still a tethered. So, like, you know, they're like, what's going on? I would I assume then would what we're supposed to include is that from then until we meet Adelaide uh, later is that, you know, she probably went through uh, therapy. She was exposed to people. She wasn't neglected. So she, I think, I don't think necessarily these are like superpowers that they have. I think the, the whole idea is it's, it's, it's basically like those who are more like, I, I mean, like it's like the more fortunate up above, who can talk to people and do all this neglect like they 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 experience a life that's much better than their their doppelgangers or clones or whatever you want to call it below so i just think it, it these are maybe just learned behaviors that other that you know like the people around them this is what they've all had for centuries and then you know when the swap is made now she's above she learns a new way of life and we just don't get to see that transition but i think that's that is what they are trying to uh infer it's almost like um, Adelaide, the real Adelaide, or no, no, just normal Adelaide, <laughs> sacrificed herself to let everyone become untethered. No, no, no. I, I think, I think it, it is very, very confusing. This is, I, I, I've struggled in terms of what exactly I think. Joe, it's, it feels like you, you've got something to say, or you, no, <laughs> no, no. I was enjoying the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move on from that topic just because I don't know where to take it any further. But let's before we get into the wheel, we'll talk about one more thing at least that I want to talk about. Unless you guys have some point you want to talk about, does anybody else want to have something? Anyone else have a point of reference they really want to discuss? Uh, no. I, I mean, there are certain things I want to like point out, like just okay, go stuff, ahead. Like, well, I just, well, for me, I, I forgot how, like, I forgot how funny the movie was, which Get Out was also funny, and that makes sense. Jordan Peele is uh, a man of comedy. Um, the music was so cool. I loved uh, using I Got Five on it with, like, mixing it with the, the actual, like, or mixing it, mixing it with the actual orchestral uh, score was really cool. So, they, like, that became, like, the theme of the movie. I just thought that was an awesome touch um let's see obviously there's so much symbolism there are also some really funny quotes that i just kind of want to bring up first i'm actually the, listening to it right now i got five my headphones yeah i was gonna bring that up in budman's score review later but <laughs> i do want to ask about that all right. Uh, well, actually, real quick, though, before I do, Matthew, what were you going to talk about? I, I, um, I was actually going to talk about something like a little bit more serious that people people probably don't even want to talk about <laughs> but maybe I, I like so i was going to talk about so in years and years and years we've had like the token black person but in this movie i feel like we have the token white person 
like so Tim Heidecker and what's her name? I forget uh, what her actual name is. Uh, oh, shit. Elizabeth Moss, I think. Elizabeth Moss, right? Elizabeth Moss. So they almost have these like stereotypical, almost like over exaggerated white people role. Did you guys? What did you guys think about that? Did you think it was fair? Did you think of what it was? Like, um, I thought it was funny personally, but at the same yeah. time, it, yeah, like, uh, like I don't think anyone should be offended by it. It's almost like I thought it was a play on, like I said, when you have like a bunch of movies and you have the token black person. It was almost Jordan Peele having like an almost African American movie with like I the think, token white people involved. So, what did you guys think? I think you're exactly right. I think that's what's, that's so funny to me. Like, yeah, I mean, if there's one thing Jordan Peele has made very clear, and he said it a lot in interviews, is like he's trying to make films where the main actor, the protagonist, like writing, like these are black people, like they they're underrepresented in in many respects of, of filmmaking. So like he's made that very clear. That's what he wants to do, at least for his for the first few films that he's doing, and uh, and probably in in the future, but. I think you're right. I think I could totally see his humor being like, like we, we always have a token black character forever and ever in films. Well, let's, you know, like, I'm just going to do a little token white character, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't black know person that always dies first. Yeah, I don't know that would be true, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't, I would bet that's what he was doing there. I love Tim Heidecker in this movie, but go ahead, Joe. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. You know, he, it, it's like usually, you remember the tropes in a uh, scary movie. It's like the, the black person always dies first, you know, that kind of funny shit where, you know, Jordan Peele's definitely coming from that vein of satire and humor. And he would definitely throw that into a horror film. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, like let her have a uh, Elizabeth Moss character. She's going to have like four Chardonnays on the, uh, <laughs> on the beach there. Yeah. The little <laughs> joke about plastic surgery and stuff and Tim Heidecker. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it was just, yeah. It was so over the top a little bit, but it also like was relevant in the same sense. I loved when he was yeah. just sitting there listening to music on his chair and then like he was just like wanting his wife to go. But like, I don't know, it just resonated with me. And obviously yeah. he, got, he got killed. Rod, what do you think? Did you, what do you think about in terms of like uh, <laughs> the token white person? Do you have anything to say about that or should we move on to the wheel? I, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head. <laughs> okay all right so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna move on to the wheel characters and most of these uh wheel not characters i should say that but wheel categories most of these are going to be clone related so get ready for that so number one is you get a clone number two is clone wars number two is ripley's believe us or not believe us as in not believe it um number yeah. four is is tunnel buddies number five is <laughs> nursing clones number six is birth clone clone troll not birth control birth clone troll uh seven <laughs> is whammy eight <laughs> but grandpa said all dinosaurs are girls so you have to watch uh jurassic park for that uh number nine is jurassic snark and number 10 is respin so what we're gonna do is we're gonna spin the wheel here I really hope it's what we're going to do. Here we go. And it's number two, Clone or Clone Wars. So <laughs> rate your level of terror if you get confronted with an evil clone of yourself. And could you or would and how would like or, or how would you go about defeating yourself? So in the movie, obviously, they get confronted with like clones of themselves how scared would you be if you saw a clone ready to kick your ass and how confident would you be about beating their ass pressing go for it well i mean i think i'd be pretty uh, shocked if i just all of a sudden saw someone who looked exactly like me but then if they started doing all that tethered shit and they're really, <laughs> really scary then i'd probably be like all right this is not only do you look like me but you're you clearly are possessed or something um, I feel like they were, even with some of their superpowers, I mean, like the family is able to dispose of them somewhat quickly, at least some of them. So like, I feel like they are not, they're not as strong or as like, uh, you know, I mean, I think they are, I think they are easily defeatable. So what's that? To, we don't have to use the movie as a reference, but go ahead, Chris. I mean, Rod, go for it. Could you, could you? 
uh, I would have zero percent confidence and I would be scared on a level of one to 10, 20. I'd rather r- run into like Ted Bundy. <laughs> if it's someone that looks like yourself, that's already scary. And then if they're evil, I'm going to go ahead and double my scare rating. Terrible. Because yeah. be- because you're a person with empathy and sympathy and you're, you don't actually want to kill yourself. And this clone actually is zero empathy and sympathy. And he's, so what you're saying is you would have a hard time beating this person up because you have a conscience is what you're saying. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, I do appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, where are you going? I wouldn't talk it at all. I just would be terrified of anybody evil. But then if it literally looked like me and, you know, in my mind, I would be thinking that like, now that I've seen this movie, I'd be like, oh my God, this is tethered, dude. if he starts sounding like a pterodactyl rod budman you'd be freaking the fuck out uh joe what what would you do if you saw cloning yourself it wouldn't be good because i'm such a narcissist that i would try to i would try to reason with the clone and be like bro it's me bro it's me like we could be friends yeah exactly so it would probably get me oh Oh, well, that's, that's the thing. So everyone else wants to fight, but Joe's actually trying to use words to negotiate. Uh, I'm not saying I wanted to fight. I don't no. know if I want to fight. What's your answer? We're doing, you know, pressing your fighter. That's how your answer, Matthew. Okay. Tunnel buddies. Um, so in the film, the clones have been living in a tunnel for their whole lives. How long could you live in a tunnel with a spouse or a friend before you go crazy? Anyone want to start with that? <coughs> I'll take that one because I don't think the other two can answer that one. Uh, <laughs> of your, your spouses. Um, I don't think I'd last long at all, man. In a tunnel? No. Way. Yeah. So uh, let's let's assume you got no internet, no cable, no nothing. How? And you're also surrounded by all these people that are just sort of mindlessly walking around. So go for it. How long I mean, did you last? Uh, however long the food and water supply would be, plus 30, 45 days, plus or minus. Okay, 34 five days. <laughs> Pressing well, they've, got that, they've got that cafeteria down there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Not not long. That would suck. Are, you, are, we, are we to assume that uh, we are, are capable, like able-minded people and we're just stuck down there? Yeah, exactly. So just assume yeah. that you're with those sort of mindless idiots out there that are sort of wandering around yeah. and you're, you're in your same mind, body, and person. How long could you last before you went crazy? Oh, God. I, I would say I could probably last like some months, maybe a year. <laughs> oh, dude, you're thinking longer than I would. I thought you said how long would I survive? Not um, survive, but just like before. 48 hours. I mean, you could survive for a long time. Joe, what would you do? It kind of remind, this question kind of reminds me of the Key and Peele sketch where it's the last person alive on the earth and it's uh, uh, Key is, uh, Keegan is fucking walking around. He's, he's listening to um, that Party Rock album and he's kind of on the rainbow afro and he's the guy's like, they're trying to be somebody else alive. And and uh, Peel pulls out his sniper <laughs> rifle, and he's like, "Oh my God, I see somebody!" You know, like I can't believe I found somebody. And he sees he sees the guy in the uh, the wig, and he's like, "No, I'm gonna shoot him!" And shoots him, and he's like, "No, I gotta find somebody else. There's gotta be somebody else alive out there." Like, <laughs> I would just go. I'd be. I would be insane in fifteen minutes. Fifteen. That's pretty much. That's pretty low. <laughs> It is kind of wild the way that she goes from in like the Vision Quest House of Mirrors and all of a sudden she's in this weird tunnel complex or whatever. But like you said, I I, I don't think I would last very long at all. I, in my head, I think I could last like a few days. But yeah. if I knew how to get out, I would almost like kill myself in terms of trying to get out, if that makes sense. Like if you knew that the door was there, you'd almost like fight your way to it if that makes sense if you did know yeah. the door was there you would probably last a little bit longer but who knows all right so we're gonna spin the wheel one more time before we get the ratings uh, all right so you get a clone 
let's say you have a friendly clone that's completely obedient to you. How would you use it to your benefit? So we want everyone's response to this. Preston, you get a clone. It's a Preston Barnes clone. It's got long hair. It loves fish. <laughs> it can play drums. How would you use it to your benefit? Go for it. Um, well, I would, I would ask that it get a job and like add income <laughs> to the family. But, uh, you know, like on the days when I don't have anyone to play golf with me, like, your, <laughs> so your, you want it as a friend? You're coming with. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it plays drums, then I guess we can do like an Almond Brothers Grateful Dead kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Rod, what would you do with the clone of Rod Bubman? Uh, I'd set him up as a Uber driver that works 24-7, three six. And he collects all the money at the end of the day. That's the that. best you can come up with in terms of like your mind and ability. Like, oh, I guess he's just a Uber driver. You can make him do something else. 24-7, 365. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. Joe? <laughs> oh, I would definitely pimp him out. Those good lucks and charm. Oh God! <laughs> and I would, and I wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. Yeah, exactly. Where you saying you would just blame everything on on Clint? No, I just mean the uh, the syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally that, that went over my head there. I'd yeah, probably get stuff, my phone. Just, I'd reserve them for Tuesday nights through Thursday nights just to be on call for the hours of 8.30 Eastern to 10.30. Um, Are you to, saying you want him to do the podcast for you? Is that what you're saying, Rod? No, he's <laughs> saying, I knew it. intellectual <laughs> capabilities, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rod, so, Rod, Rod, but I have a question for Rod. I have a question, for Rod. I have a quest man for Joe. <laughs> Rod, would you use your clone as like an organ farm? Like, would you just take his liver if your liver got messed up, or would you take his kidneys and stuff? Oh, of course, we'd probably I have mean, the same blood type, and yeah, a, I think that's a big thing. I know, but if it was going to kill the clone, would you do it? Well, I don't. Yeah, if, you, I mean, if you had like a heart failure and the clone's heart was sitting there, would you do it? I if mean, the clone like put my hand to the paper and was like okay you can do it because i mean if it's yeah, the same if it's the same me he would be like yeah the real robert should know or uh are you assuming ooh, y'all's consciousness would like link up yeah. afterwards is that what you're saying <laughs> let the real no, robert I, live. I just mean like, would you value him as much as you bro <laughs> i think my doppelganger would value the real me the untethered me yeah, yeah so, uh, so I don't think assuming... I trust myself to make that decision. <laughs> I do. So you're assuming the real Budman has almost like a 65% reality versus the other Budman has like a 35% reality? Is that what, is that well, kind of what I mean, you're saying? Yeah, if we're both at 100, clearly the, the doppelganger is going to flip. He's going to be like, no, nah, man, you, you did. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Ate too many donuts. So maybe we should, we should have clarified a little bit. Um, all right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to the ratings of this movie. <laughs> move on to the ratings of us. Uh, Preston, it was your movie first, uh, your movie to pick. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going us. with a, a 95. Jesus Christ. Joe, you got some criticism from your last uh, movie rating. Let's hear what you have to say. Man, and look, I caught some flack for... Um... <laughs> For my grades last week. Uh, actually, you know, Preston picked a 95, which is the – I've got five on it. came out in 1995, so that was a great pick. Uh, I'm going to go 8.8. 8. Um, it's actually a very good movie. Scared the shit out of me. All right, Rod, go for it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we've got a 95. Is that what I heard? At 95, that might be the highest score we've had of any movie yet. That is. I think it is. Wow. Um, that's a whammy there. And an 88. Okay, well, I started uh, 
about two hours ago with a rating of like 70. And then I heard it was Hoagie's pick, so it went down to 65. <laughs> yeah. Then we discussed it. I knew like, it was biased. I was to get a lot of clarity on all the answers I have, but I only have more questions, which makes this movie a 87 for Rock. Because not many movies are that good at making questions that can't be answered. Impressive statement, and well articulated from Rod Bubman. Um, so I'm going to give it an 85. I'm not the biggest fan of all horror and suspense movies, but I actually really enjoyed this movie. That was funny, whatever. But uh, uh, you know, whatever. 85. So we're going to move on to our next movie. It's my pick. That's what we're doing now. And what we're going to do. Yeah, we will average them at the end of the year and we'll see who has like the most, um, you know, gratuitous scores and who has the most shitty scores, whatever. Um, (laughs) What we're going to do though is (coughs) next movie, we're going to watch Uncut Gems, kind of a popular movie. It's on Netflix. Adam Sandler in his most serious role was trying to get an Oscar nomination but didn't. But that's how I'm happy about it. Yeah, Kevin Garnett did. It's uh, real political. Yeah, okay. So, Uncut Gems next week. Rod, do you want to give us some final thoughts? Preston, final thoughts? Rod, go for it. Pogan, you can go first. Say, so keep on poking, Preston. Keep on poking. Poke on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't follow his advice. Everybody, keep on button. All right. Thanks. Joe, do you, do you want to have a catchphrase? Tune in to tune out. <laughs> Woo. Look, uh, so all these things could go on a t-shirt. Keep on poking, keep on button, tune in, tune out. Just just some food for thought. But uh, all right, thanks guys. But uh, uh, like I said, anyone has any ideas or stuff, let's let's start doing that because I think we can actually start kind of making money as uh I think we should make thongs that have Budman's face on it. <laughs> Give or, me a good keep on Budman. Or face mask. All right, everybody, our listeners, especially you Canadians, keep on Budman. Have a good... Got, or we're done recording, yeah? Say it in French. <laughs> me or Joe? You. I can't speak French. I can do German. <laughs> Keep on booting. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Right. Definitely. That's Perfect. exactly it. <laughs> now right. it's booting. Keep on in, on But I'm the type that likes to light another joint like Cypress Hill I still do be spit loogies when I puff on it I got some bucks on it, but it ain't enough on it Go get the S-T-I-D-E-S Nevertheless, I'm hella fresh Rolling joints like a cigarette So pass it across the table like ping pong I'm gone, beating my chest like King Kong And some wrap my lips around the phony And when it comes to getting another stogie Fools all kick in like Shinobi Know me ain't my homie to begin with It's too many hands to be Probably let my friend hit bit Unless you pull out the fat crispy Five dollar bill on the real before it's history Cause fools be having them vacuum lungs And if you let them in for free you hella dumb I come to school with a tailor on my earlobe Avoiding all the flick teasers, skeezers and weirdos Got me throwing off the land like where the bomb at Give me two bucks you take a puff and pass my bomb back Suck up the dank like a slurpee The serious bomb will make a nigga go delirious like Eddie Murphy I got more growing pains than Maggie Cause homies nag me to take the dick out of the bag I'm so keyed up to the
the joint be burning my hand Next time I roll it in a hamper To burn slow so the ashes won't be burning in my hand, bruh Hoogies get hit but they know they got a pitch and bend I roll a joint that's longer than your extension Cause I be damned if you get high off me for free Hell no, you better bring your own slip cheap What's up, don't babysit that Better pass the joint Stop hitting cause you know you got asthma Crack the 40 open homie and guzzle it Cause I know the weed in my system is getting lonely I gotta take a whiz test to my PO I know I feel cause I done smoke major weed bro And every time we with Chris that fool rolling up a fatty But the tango race straight had me So let's head to the east, hit the stroll to 9-0 so we can roll big hashis I wish I could fade the 8, but I'm no budget Still rolling the 2 though, cut the same old bucket Foggy window, soggy endo I'm in the land getting smoke with my kid Up in smoke, yuck, I spray your layer down Up in the OAK, the town Homies don't play around, we down there blaze a pound Then ease up, speed up through the ESO Drink the VSOP up with the lemon squeeze up And everybody's roller, I'm the roller That's quick to fold up, blunt out of a bunch of sticky doja Hold up, suck up my weed, it's all you do kicking Cause we're IBs, we need to have like a fool. Oh, oh, oh.